Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20. The heading there is of a new section, God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. And then Lord's Day 20, the question is, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me, to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. So that is a summary of God's word as we find it in the Heidelberg Catechism. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 50, stances one through four, the spirit came as promised. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess and believe that we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you have some questions about that. When exactly did we receive the Holy Spirit? And how do we know that we have the full measure of the Holy Spirit? Or are we lagging behind in that regard to others? Should the fact that we have the Holy Spirit not show more in our lives should we not be more like those people who glowingly speak about the work of the Holy Spirit within them? Should we not in this church, for example, have people come up to the front and give their testimonial about how the Holy Spirit is doing his wonderful work in them? Should we not require that, especially from young people as they publicly profess their faith? Well, brothers and sisters, what does it mean to give testimony of the work of the Holy Spirit? How do you do that? That's what we will look at this afternoon. And in so doing, we will look especially at the second part of the answer to see how the work of the Holy Spirit applies God's gift to us and how he makes us living members of Christ. The theme is as follows. The Holy Spirit makes us living members of Christ. First, we look at the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then secondly, the testimony through the Holy Spirit. The second part of this Lord's Day states that the Holy Spirit is also given to me. It's a personal confession. Holy Spirit is not just given to others, but also to me personally. And you receive the Holy Spirit when you are a child of God. That's also what Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. However, when did Christ give the Holy Spirit to you and to me. Did he give him to me at the time of my birth or at the time of my baptism? Or did he give him to me at some time when I was growing up 
or when I came to faith? When exactly? Well, we read together from 1 Corinthians 7. And in verse 14, it says that our children are holy because of the believing parent. Holiness, brothers and sisters, can only be given to you by the Holy Spirit. For that is especially the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is why we have as heading above this Lord's Day of this new section of the Catechism, God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. Sanctification and a state of holiness mean the same thing. The word sanctification comes from the Latin language, the word sanctus, and the word holiness comes from the German group of languages. And they have the same meaning. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us holy, who sanctifies us. And so our children, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, are made holy through the believing parents. But what does that mean? How does that work? Does that mean that our children are automatically saved? No, it does not mean that. The word holiness means literally that you are separated from the world and dedicated to God. That is the fundamental meaning of the word. And that's what God does. God sets you apart and makes you part of his covenant. But you also have to respond to that. The fact, the fact that you are holy through the parent does not mean that now you are automatically one of God's elect. We may not confuse covenant with election. That is obvious from the context in which this passage is given. It says that the unbelieving husband also has been made holy, sanctified. How? Through the believing wife, and vice versa. It is clear, however, that an unbelieving partner will not be saved. He or she must become a believer, for an unbeliever cannot be saved. You must have faith. Now, the same thing is true of children. They, too, are part of God's covenant, but they, too, must become believers. If they don't become believers, then they stand condemned. That is true for the Old Testament children as well as New Testament children. As it says in the form for the baptism of children, children of believers are subject also to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation. We hear that all the time. Do you ever think about that? No one, but no one should dispute the fact that the children in the Old Testament were included as members of the covenant. Scripture is clear on that. Not even those who believe in, ad, in adult baptism only. Since they are members of the covenant, they also receive the sign and the seal of the covenant, which in the Old Testament is circumcision. They are set apart made holy. Well, says Paul, the same thing is true here within the New Testament context. Children are also set apart, made holy, sanctified. 
They now belong to the communion of saints. They belong to God's holy people. That's a given. They are holy by virtue of the fact that they are, that they are born as children of believing parents. But now, he says in 1 Corinthians 7, since children are made holy through the believing mother or father, the same thing is true for the unbelieving husband or the unbelieving wife. He is also made holy. Same principle is at work here. How is that possible? Well, Look at how it happened in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the whole household had to be circumcised, including all the servants. They were all included as part of God's covenant people and taught the ways of the Lord God. And it was in this way that they were set apart, made holy. And so they also had to be obedient to God's covenant laws. You would not want to include someone in your household who would serve the idols of the world. Servants in a family became part of the family and also were given the duty to teach the children of the household. Disobedience to the covenant obligations would not be tolerated from anyone within the household, including the servants. And that is clear from Leviticus 24, where the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father blasphemed God's name with a curse. This young man was put to death. It says in Leviticus 24 verse 16, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. For you see, this young man had been brought up within a household where at least one of the partners was a believer. He had been taught about God. He had been set apart as one of God's children, and he was taught about his will. In spite of that, he rejected God. And the Lord does not leave that unpunished. And now Paul uses that Old Testament principle of the covenant in the New Testament situation. Paul says, the children of unbelievers are made holy, set apart, cleansed. Even if only one of the partners is a believer, the Holy Spirit who works through the believing parent accomplishes that. He sets you apart and he purifies you. Now, how does a believing parent do that? Well, think about it. What do you do as parents? Our children, they receive the sign and the seal of the covenant through baptism right after they are born. Rightly so. And do you know what the promise then is given to them? Well, the promise is given that the Holy Spirit will dwell in them and make them living members of Christ, imparting to them what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from their sins and the daily renewal of our lives. And parents, when they bring their children to the baptismal font, confess that even though their children are subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, that they are sanctified, made holy in Christ. Believing parents do not give, to, give birth to heathen children. 
because of the covenant, they belong to Christ. They are God's children. They're Christians. Think about what happens in Christian homes. As soon as little children start moving about in the home, we start teaching them proper behavior. Don't touch. Don't throw a temper tantrum. Share with your brother or sister. Respect your father and your mother. Forgive your brother or your sister when they wrong you. And as soon as they are able to understand, we tell them why they must conduct themselves in a proper manner. Why? Because they're children of God. That's what we tell them. They're children of God who loves them and who watches over them. He wants them to be aware of his loving presence. He wants children to know why they must obey him so that it will go well with them in life, as we know from the commandments. For that reason, as soon as children are able to utter a few words, we teach them to pray at the table. We also teach them to ask for the forgiveness of sins. And in this way, we teach them about their relationship with the Lord their God. And the more they are able to understand, the greater their responsibility they will have with regard to their conduct over against God and their neighbor. They are taught from the cradle that they are children of God and that therefore they have to deny the sinful flesh and to put on the spiritual nature which is given to them through the Holy Spirit. For you see, in teaching our children and bringing them up, the parents are instruments of the Holy Spirit. It is through the parents that children are sanctified, made holy, set apart. And that is why the parents have such a great responsibility over against the Lord in the upbringing of their children. For how does the Holy Spirit work? The Holy Spirit works together with the Word. And what or who is the Word? Well, the Word is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word become flesh. And after his death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven. And he gives us now his Word along with the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit does not work outside of the Word as well? Oh, sure. The Holy Spirit also works in nature. He is the giver of life to everything. But the primary means of the Holy Spirit is the Word. That's his main tool. And we have God's Word in the Bible. Boys and girls, I, I hope you're listening to this too. Do you know how wonderful it is that God has given you your parents, your Christian parents, that he has made you part of a Christian household. That he has given you parents who love the Lord. What do your parents do? Well, they teach you about the word of God, right? They teach you how to have a wonderful life where God is in the center. And they teach you how not to get hurt. Do you know who wants to hurt you? Satan, right? 
Satan wants you to do all the wrong things. Instead of being, uh, instead of God being your father, he wants to be your father. And that's why he wants you, for example, to disobey your parents. He wants you to do whatever you feel like doing. He likes it when you hurt other people, when you hurt your brother or your sister or your friends. He likes it when you're mean to your friends. He likes it when you're bully. Uh, he likes it when you steal things from others or when you're jealous. He also wants you to harm your body. And so as you get older, he wants you to do drugs. He wants you to get drunk and to lose your inhibitions. He wants you, wants you to have sex outside of marriage. He whispers in your ear that all those kinds of things are there for you to make you feel good. But do you know what the reality is? Such a lifestyle is going to hurt you deeply. Such sinful habits are especially going to hurt you in your relationship with the Lord and also in your relationship with your parents and your siblings and your relatives and friends. Satan especially wants to take away from you, he wants to, wants to take you away from the Lord God. And the Lord has given you parents to teach you how to avoid that kind of harm. Of course, we live in a sinful world. All parents are sinful. And they don't always do the right thing. But all in all, they want to serve the Lord. And they want to protect you from harm. There are so many things that can hurt us. And that is because of sin. And that is because of the effects of sin all around us. And that's not God's fault. That's our fault. For even though you're a child of God, you can still get into a car accident. Or get killed, for example. Or you can receive a severe illness. It can also happen that other people hurt you, your friends, by the words that they say or by the things that they do. But even with all these harmful things happening to you, the Lord your God, because you are his precious covenant child, will still protect you. He will even keep you from falling into the grip of Satan. That's what he promised already at the time of your baptism. He is faithful even when we are not. Because of the promises of the covenant, we may also be sure that children who die in infancy will be saved. For little children have not yet had a chance to respond to God's teachings. They are too small for that. Nevertheless, the Lord God also welcomes those little children into his arms as children as part of his kingdom. That's also what we confess in the Canons of Dort, chapter 1, article 17, where we read, Therefore God-fearing parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children whom God calls out of this life in their infancy. Now I know we may have questions about this and wonder how even a little baby who has never been able to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit through the parents could be saved. Such a child 
was never able to show him or herself to be a believer. But that's what God promises. He says the promise is to you and to your children. And what is that promise? It is the promise of the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. And he also loves you, young children, who are able to understand some of this message and who can respond to him. He loves you, not only because of the promises, but also because of your childlike faith and trust. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 18 about the little children. He says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. See how much he loves children? They're part of his kingdom. We don't have to doubt that. The Catechism says that he makes me, by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits. And these benefits are clear from the passage we read in Romans 8. In the chapter just before that, Paul laments the fact that he is such a sinner. He says that even though he has his mind set on doing the law of God, he finds that he is unable. He says in Romans 7 verse 19 that even when he wants to do the good, he does the opposite. He does the evil. Do you ever experience that, children, that... You want to do good, but somehow you don't do it. Yeah, that's what we're like. And we have to fight against that. And that's why Paul cries out. He says, wretched man that I am. And then he ends the chapter by saying, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. In other words, Paul says that he continually wants to do the right thing but he finds himself to be incapable. But then he comes with a cry of triumph in chapter 8. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, don't we have a wonderful and awesome God? What an enormous comfort there is in those words. Even though we sin against God and each other all the time, he doesn't condemn us as long as we believe in him and ask him for forgiveness. He is full of mercy and full of loving kindness. Don't his mercy and kindness and compassion and his greatness, don't they move you? At least that's what it ought to do. And that's what God requires from you and from me. He wants a testimony from you and me. That brings us to the second point. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 15 that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Of course, anybody can take the name Father on their lips also unbelievers. That's not what Paul means. Paul is referring here to the intimate relationship between the father and his child. When you call upon God as your father, 
then you confess to be in an intimate relationship with him. In this life, we only have one earthly father and one earthly mother. We do not call anybody else our father or mother. When we use that name, that name, we at the same time express the close bond that we have together. We express the trust that we have in our father. I remember once reading a story about a little girl who was in a burning building and that building was about to be devoured, devoured by the flames. She was standing in an open window and the fireman had a tarp stretched below to catch, to catch her. And they told that little girl to jump. She wouldn't. She was too scared. She didn't trust those firemen. And she froze. But then the father came on the scene and he saw what was happening. And he told her to jump. And she did. Why do you think now she jumped? Because she trusted her father. She knew that he wouldn't ask her to jump if it wasn't safe. She recognized his voice. Well, it's in that sense that we too have to call upon our Heavenly Father. Then we express our trust in him and our strong bond with him. When we call upon the name of the Father, we highlight the wonderful relationship we have with God in heaven. It is only through God the Holy Spirit that such a relationship can be expressed. For the Holy Spirit applies to us the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his holy obedience that we can be called children of God and that we can also God our Father in heaven. Little children often brag about their parents, how big and strong their daddy is and what a great cook and how wonderful their mother is. I know I used to do that when I was a little boy. And then children get a little older, well, that kind of wears off. Then they begin to see the weaknesses and limitations of their parents. However, there is no weakness, there are no limitations with our Father in heaven. He is the Almighty God. And so you and I, through the Holy Spirit, must also, so to speak, brag about our Father in heaven. And we have to do that whenever the opportunity arises. When your coworker, for example, speaks to you about the beauty of creation, then you can rightly attest to the fact that your Father in heaven created it all. Indeed, your testimony about being a child of God, of being part of his creation, should sound forth from your lips. And so, yes, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you do want to give testimony to others. As we heard this morning, it is not something that we can just keep to ourselves. It's something to shout about, not to stand in front of the church to draw attention to ourselves, but to God and to give him the glory. Let me ask you, do the people with whom you come into contact regularly know that the Holy Spirit is within you? That you're a Christian? 
that you have the Almighty God as your Father? Do you look for opportunities to speak to them about what lives within you? Paul says in Romans 8, verse 5, as we read, that those who live in accordance with the Spirit set their minds on what the Spirit desires. When you're in love with someone, then you set your mind on the things that he or she desires. When you love your children, when you love your parents, that's what you do. Think about those you love, your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your child. When you think about those whom you dearly love, then you think about what gives them joy. And then you do your best to give that to them. That's what your mind is set on. You want to please them, not just with gifts, but also with trying to maintain that relationship. That's especially what parents do with their children who are dependent on them. They provide for their children's needs. They think all the time about how they can fulfill their children so that they also can learn to love, to love God and to love others. Parents are always busy thinking about their children. Even when they go to bed, they will ask each other advice. How do we deal with this child? How do we deal with that child? What can we do? And proud parents also like to show off their children to others. Grandparents like to show off their grandkids and tell them about the things that they have accomplished. Well, that's also what God does with us. He loves us. And he shows that in many wonderful ways. And therefore he wants us to do the same thing with regard to him. He wants us to brag about him, so to speak. And to tell others about how he has been involved in our lives. And continues to be. However, to speak about these things is not the only way to testify about your father in heaven. Your whole life must be a testimony to him. He does not just want your words, because words can be cheap. He wants your deeds. He wants to show in your life that you are a child of his. We're all different. Not everybody is the same. Some people do not speak as easily as others what lives inside of them. Some husbands, for example, will not easily speak about their love for their partner or even about the love for the children. But that does not mean that they don't love them. And their marriage partner and their children also know in every fiber of their body that they do love them. For they show that through their actions. A husband who truly loves his wife will show that in the way that he conducts himself. Not just with words. He shows that by being faithful to his wife. By serving her. By showing her kindnesses. And he will instruct her. And the same thing is true of a wife who loves her husband. So it doesn't mean, of course, that he shouldn't speak about it as well. Yeah, okay, it's very important. It's important to affirm your love time and again to your partner. But words mean very little if you don't also show your words by your deeds. They go hand in hand. 
And that's also the way it is with the way you treat your children. If you truly love them, then you also show that in the way that you serve them, in the way that you instruct them, also in the way that you admonish them and discipline them. These are all acts of love. Now, the same thing is true for us as Christians, as children of God. If you love the Lord, then you also show that by what you do. For example, by being faithful in your church going, coming to church every Sunday, if at all possible, and even when you can't meet together, that you gather together with your family in your living rooms and listen to the sermons and be involved in the worship services by, through the means of the internet. You must be involved in church life. We need to be recharged every Sunday. And you also show that you're a child of God by being kind to your neighbors. And then when the opportunity arises, you also tell them and show to them that you're a Christian. And that's why you do the things that you do. Sometimes we go through periods in our lives where God is all but absent from us. At least so it appears. That's what happened, for example, during the time of the life of David. He sinned against God, against God with his sin with Bathsheba. For quite some time, David felt that God the Holy Spirit had been removed from him. Just read through Psalm 51. But what did God do? He kept tugging at his heartstrings. And through Nathan, the prophet, he brought him back. God's Holy Spirit did not leave him. And that's why we also have elders in the church to bring those back who are straying, to get them back on the right track. Look at what a child of God David was. And that's what we pray for as we pray for our children, for those who are in danger of losing their salvation, that they do not reject the work of the Holy Spirit. They have to respond to the words of the Holy Spirit to them by their parents and other godly people. God speaks through them and through his word. You cannot reject that. But if you do and persist in doing that, then you will set yourself apart from God. And then you make yourself part of the world which is on the road to destruction. That then is your own doing and your own fault. And since they are brought up within the covenant, they will have the greater responsibility for their actions. But then they have walked away themselves from God. God did not abandon them. No, they abandoned God. And then with our whole lives, we will be a testimony of God's work in us and through us if we allow ourselves to be called back as we need time and again. For we do stray, don't we? For we know that the Holy Spirit has a share in Christ and all his benefits. He renews us every day. Go to him in prayer. Ask for forgiveness. Also things in the past that you may stay on the right track, brothers and sisters.
God will do that. Isn't that something to be thankful for, to boast about all the days of your life? Amen.